Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I've got a question for you. Is it ever okay to talk about, give out about the weather at the very start of a podcast? Is, is that okay? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I, I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, the weather's bad enough, which it is. It's so bad. Hi, Murph. Hey there, Owen. It's the latest Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. I mean, if ever there was a day, surely, I've, mm. I've literally just looked out the office window here and seen a lady for the last five to ten minutes. She was battling uh, manfully. Battling manfully to get that umbrella in the air. It doesn't work when there's wind and rain. Umbrellas no. just don't don't cut it. 85 I'm, miles an hour of horizontal wind. Ugh. Your umbrella is really... It's, it's superfluous. <laughs> it's, 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 it yeah, it's not just superfluous. It's actually dangerous to you and other pedestrians. So that lady did eventually give up on it. I made a spectacularly bad start to... Bad decision on the way to the office this morning. That's why I bring up the weather. Uh, well, you did cycle in, did you? Well, no, I cycled in. That wasn't a bad decision. But the fact that I looked at the rain teeming down outside the house, thought... Looks like it's clearing up. Probably no need to put the wet gear on. <laughs> I'm, yeah, come I'm, on now, Owen. Come on now. I mean bike, of course, in the push bike sense, as opposed to motorbike. Albeit the lines are increasingly blurred. If the 60 Minutes documentary is <laughs> over the weekend. We, we had a listener last week who got in touch to say he thought I looked angry on my cycle to work. If only that guy could have seen me today. Yeah. Oh, soaked to the skin midway through. Completely convinced that my laptop and phone were gone. You know? yeah. I was thinking, this is... I'm not going to be able to do the podcast. I'm going to have to go and sort out this phone and uh, laptop issue. That's undoubtedly going to happen when I be revealed when I open my bag. Oh, you're such a funny, paranoid little man. Right? <laughs> and now I sit here, many hours later, still damp. Uh, still, though, every, at least we're all here. Again, on, get on with the day. On with the paranoid little man. Is that that phrase? <laughs> on with the show. We were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Running Man on Monday's pod. Do you remember this? We were, yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed, Owen. A listener, Mark Cole, that emailed us to let us know that one of the stars of my 1978 WWWF poster, mm. uh, you, if you remember the character's name, you're doing well. Professor Tanaka was the wrestler's name. Mm. Uh, he had played the character Sub-Zero in Arnie's 1987 film The Running Man. That's how that movie came. None of us actually seen the film in quite a long time, as in, you know, 30 years. But... 
still speculated wildly that it could be one of Arnie's greatest works. I found myself feeling quite passionately that, it, that it's a really great movie, even though mm. I only saw it when I was about, you know, seven or eight It's years always twins. Me and Simon are yeah. we're firmly in the twins camp. Alas, no. Well, yes, possibly could be twins, Murph, but certainly it's not. The number one Arnie movie is not The Running Man, according to Seamus, who tweeted me to say, I watched The Running Man recently. It is not better than Total Recall, or in fact, many Arnie movies. Scary title card, though. And he's not wrong. Go on, go on. By 2017, the world economy has collapsed. Food, natural resources and oil are in short supply. A police state divided into paramilitary zones rules with an iron hand. <laughs> Certain prescience there to the, from the makers of well, The I'd Running s- Man back in 1987. I'd say if there are any gaps there, uh, it's a long year. We're barely into February. So, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't specify the month of 2017, so could mm. be bang on the nose yet. Uh, it's, it's interesting you should mention Arnold today uh, and again his, his star is on the ascendant much like Fre- Frederick Douglass more, more and more people are talking about him uh, including this morning at the national prayer breakfast gathering of uh, religious worthies uh, the President of the United States when I ran for president I had to leave the show that's when I knew for sure I was doing it And they hired a big, big movie star, Arnold Schwarzenegger, to take my place. And we know how that turned out. The ratings went right down the tubes. It's been a total disaster. And Mark will never, ever bet against Trump again. And I want to just pray for Arnold, if we can, for those ratings, okay? (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I checked out the National Prayer Breakfast uh, because, I mean, I, I refused to believe that it could, like, that it was in a church or something. Yeah. You know, that you're actually sitting down meeting with. So, I mean, it is, there are religious, but it's also on its Wikipedia page. Uh, it's designed to be a forum for the political, social and business elite to assemble and build relationships. So n- not a whole lot of prayer being mentioned here. Yeah. But I did get, I did have a thought, you know, that uh, I'd love to meet the Christian you know, the evangelical Christian for whom him slacking off Arnold at the National Prayer Service was the final straw. You know, <laughs> everything else that had happened up till now, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. But to defile the National Prayer Service. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty small subset, I, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, this being, you know, 2017, Arnold has already responded on Twitter. <laughs> hey, Donald, I have a great idea. Why don't we switch jobs? You take over TV because you're such an expert in ratings. And I take over your job, and then people can finally sleep comfortably again. Hmm? Yeah, that's not a, not a great comeback. Well, yeah. well, his little wink to camera made it. You know, oh, we didn't. You can't, can't see that. that. Yeah. See, he does a little wink because he's a With, he's pretty a, good actor. He's a primarily physical actor. I would have thought. Yeah, he's you he's, know that he's he's not Orson Welles. Say, I mean, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's career would not have gone every bit as well on radio as it did in the visual arts. That's true. You would expect Trump to have more of a go at. Arnie, why am I taking this? Why am I taking this? These two clips on a serious level at this point, Ken. If if Arnie had stolen his job, you know, if yeah. Trump had been fired, Trump is still a producer of the show <laughs> that he's slagging but, off. Yeah, Trump. He's just he's he's, he's a stand-in presenter. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Although we do know how dangerous stand-in presenters can get. I mean, we all have the, he, he, the Richie Sadler experience he, fresh he, in our minds. He is amazing. I mean, that speech he gave yesterday for the like Black History Month or whatever. It reminded me of. I'd be a big fan of the. Uh, Sadly, now finished comedy peep show. And there are a couple of set pieces in that where they end up having to give speeches of some kind, you know, in a badly prepared state, which honestly, Jez from Peep Show would have given a better speech on Black History Month 
uh, if he'd simply stood up there and, and delivered it off the top of his head. Are you thinking about Superhands, the, the best man speech he gave at Superhands' wedding? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. It was <laughs> possibly in a slightly higher category than what was. Anyway, anyway, you know, that's... Uh, Report on sport, Ken. <laughs> Before we march on with the show, I just want to throw a little bit of a teaser out there. Make sure to check in with us next Monday. That's next Monday. Because we've got some massive news to announce from the world of second captains. I'm talking wolf howl massive news. Oh, yeah. So that's next month. Is that wolf? It seems to go on for longer every time, the wolf howl. I presume it's the same clip. It's uh, maybe a, an aural illusion. That's next Monday. Big announcement coming your way. All will be revealed. Now, US Murph on Super Bowl week is always one of my favourite slots of the year. Brian's on the way later in the pod. Right now, it's opening weekend. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Islander in and over. What the hell was that? It, was that the Holy Trinity we just heard there? It's all the boys. Bill McLaren, Fred Cogley, and Nigel Stammersmith. And NSS, as All in the one audio bed. That's extraordinary. The Golden Era, of course. I the think, 80s. I think I'm getting excited again about the Six Nations this year. You know, last year you had the issue of it being post World Cup. Relatively small gap between the two competitions. Any achievement in the Six Nations was going to be looked upon unfavorably compared to the World Cup. Oh, you couldn't do it at the World Cup, that kind of thing. Same thing's going to happen at the start of the next World Cup year, where it's all, oh, yeah, no, England had their eye off the ball if Ireland would win the Six Nations, for example. These two middle years, Simon, this is where it's at. Yeah, for sure. This is no rinky dink competition this year. Ireland are feeling pretty good about themselves, obviously, beating the three Southern Hemisphere sides last year, and especially New Zealand. But then all the other European teams had. Really good November series. Even Italy beat South Africa. So you're kind of looking at a situation now where the team that wins this year's Six Nations, they don't need to win a Grand Slam, but win the competition. They're really looked at as one of the contenders for the World Cup or just second favourites behind New Zealand. Um, the only factor being, of course, then Ireland faced Scotland at this first weekend away. Scotland fancy themselves. And it's a losable game for Ireland. There's no doubt about that. Are we going to lose to Scotland? What are, the, what are the teams looking like? Well, yeah, it's funny when they're... When you see them on a sheet of paper in front of you, it sort of crystallises your thoughts a little bit about the fact that there's a bunch of these Scotland players can consider themselves every bit as good as their Irish opposition player. Uh, you know, you think of Hoggett full back, Laidlaw at scrum half, Finn Russell at out half, Josh Strauss in the back row. They, you know, in terms of just skill level and, and talent, they're probably at a level of the Irish players, but they just haven't achieved as much. And I think a little bit like the way Argentina used to see Ireland. I think Scotland currently see Ireland in the same way. Mm. And you could see that dynamic a little bit in the Glasgow Munster game, that the Scots kind of, if they're to move to the next level, in their heads they need to beat Ireland at home. Yeah, well, they've, got, they've, they've got to pick off someone. And they've, got to pick off, yeah, they've got to pick off somebody, yeah. as in somebody that's not Italy. I would say Ireland well really annoy this current Scottish group because they are pretty close in talent, but they just have won absolutely nothing besides a, a Pro 12 for Glasgow. Yeah. Well, we'll see if Scott Hastings backs up that view a little bit later on. Uh, right now, we've got Shane Horgan and delighted also to be joined in studio by two-time Six Nations champ, Sean Cronin. Sean, you're very welcome. Very good, lads and yourselves. Oh, we're good. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've had a guest in studio whose photo we have on the wall downstairs. I don't know, did you see that on the way up? Oh, I did. I made, made a point, point of, uh, I made a point <laughs> of uh, pointing out to him, yeah. This is yeah. from your uh, famous appearance in Second Captain's Live. Comeback, the comeback kid. The comeback kid. <laughs> Let's. I think we've got a bit of audio of this, actually. This was uh, a couple of years back. Fingers on the buzzes, our minute starts now. 
How many tries were scored in the final day that... Murph. 27. Correct. How many tries did Ireland concede in this... Murph. Three. Correct. Jamie Heaslett made a try-saving tackle on which Scottish... Murph. Stuart Hogg. Were you playing? <laughs> in what year did Sean Cronin make his Ireland debut? 2009. Well done, Sean. Before <laughs> last weekend, what year did Ireland last win back-to-back Six Nations? Murph. Uh, 1949. Correct. Who is refereeing this year's England France? Walking away with this. Sean. Nigel Owens. Correct. No help. Back from team Driscoll is Ireland's all-time leading try score. Brian O'Driscoll. Is, is the leading try scorer. Who's in second place, Murph? Oh. Uh, that's uh, oh, Dennis Tritam Hickey. You're correct. You're flying it. Robbie Henshaw played minor for which county? Westmead. Correct. What, yeah, who did Joe Schmidt coach before? Claremont. Yes. Oh. Which oh. French player was banned for 10 weeks after Ning? Pape. Is correct. Oh, it's close. Okay, first How many, many Ireland caps has Peter Streer got? 98. Go. Is correct. Oh. It's unbelievable. Was that for the, the win? Yeah, no, unbelievable. After the buzzer, answer to draw. That was the draw. It was spectacular. That's amazing. Couple of guesses in there. I didn't even know, I didn't <laughs> even know what the full question was. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, don't yeah. Guess, you don't guess 98. You, you, you were one of the few guys to crack Murph's tactic of yeah. just buzzing, buzzing in, in and then throwing an answer out and yeah. hoping it might relate mm. to the question that you're asking. McDevitt no. also not the best quiz master in the world because no. you just keep asking way after you've buzzed. Yeah. So I reckon I buzz yeah. right before the word that looks like it's going to give away what the possible <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was key. Nobody knew there were so many tactics in these quizzes. Listen, Sean, we, you would prefer not to be here, prefer to be involved with the squad, obviously, but you've got a hamstring injury at the moment. How's it coming along? Um, it's coming along quite well. Um, four or five weeks into the rehab now and uh, things are going well and hopefully just keeping that track and um, you never know, I might shave a couple of weeks off that okay. time frame. I'm supposed to be out. Uh, obviously a tough time of year to be out particularly with the Six Nations starting up it's a competition I'm sure you've got good memories of you're, you're involved in Murrayfield a couple of years ago in this fixture the, the famous win yeah um, and then getting the trophy yeah. uh, under the, Amazing uh, when the lights were out and stuff it was a uh, yeah, unique experience and um, it's it's re- such an interesting championship this year It's it's every team is uh, fresh, you know, it's going to be the opening game, and and um, it's going to be a really exciting weekend of rugby. Hopefully, so Shane and like a lot of the pundits reading over the weekend seem to be predicting Ireland as champions. This has been going on since the New Zealand game, is and that's including a lot of English journalists and ex-players. Is there a danger of too much expectation being pinned on on that result in Chicago? Uh, I think um, the de- where's the danger? Is the danger from us? Is it from the English experts? Is it from mm. uh, the general public? I mean, those expectations don't really matter, to be honest with you. It's what the expectations are the, of the team are. And I think consistently going into the Six Nations for the last years and years and years, um, I think Ireland expect to do well, certainly under Joe Smith. Um, so those expectations will be high. You know that the pressure does come with that, um, and the Six Nations is unique in the sort of pressure that it places on you because it's not a knockout competition, but in some ways it is a knockout competition because if Ireland get the right result um, this Saturday, then the Grand Slam is gone, the Triple Crown is gone, and uh, although they will still be in a chance of winning the championship, um, the momentum of, of, the, of the Six Nations hasn't really got going for them, and it's a really momentum-based competition. Uh, and they also have to deal with the fallout of not having won their first game. So that means it makes for a very pressurized environment. And then we see how you know teams can tighten up and uh, it can affect their play when uh, when they're posed um, with those sort of conditions. So expectations will be high, but you know pressure will be high, and that's more concerning. Yeah, Sean. Clearly, perceptions about Ireland have changed. 
in the minds of, say, journos and ex-players and people abroad because of that result in Chicago. Do the players, do you think, feel differently about themselves as a result? Is it, is it any different to winning a Six Nations, say, in terms of how you judge yourself? I suppose it, it, it definitely breeds a, a huge uh, bit of belief and uh, motivation to go on and do even better things. Um, you know, it was an incredible day in Chicago and I suppose to get that mountain of history that was behind that game, um, kind of put to bed and get the win, um, it's only it's only a, a huge thing for a squad going forward mm. and gives um, you know a huge uh, lo- uh, amount of experience to guys that, that got game time over there and um, I'm sure that they're going to bring that into the Six Nations as well. Hopefully, yeah. Shane, Conor Murray has taken up the Johnny Sexton role as the Irish player who is focused on in the build-up to the matches. Uh, uh, he's going to be a target. Uh, obviously, this is related to the stuff with Glasgow a couple of weeks back and him feeling he was hard done by there, being pissed off, as he says himself, with as he said himself, with how they uh, they played him. Greg, Greg Laidlaw, scholarship captain, says this week, Glasgow did everything within the rules of the game. As a nine, you're always going to get teams putting pressure on you. Will we be putting pressure on him? For sure we will. He's not going to come to Murrayfield and get an armchair ride. Is Laidlaw within his rights to stick up for his mates? Um, I suppose he is. He's not going to do any different. Um, but I don't think they were within their rights on um, that Glasgow team and the way they uh, went after Connor um, in the European Cup. I thought uh, it, it was really cynical. It was premeditated. I thought it was dangerous, and it was uh, there was potential to um, uh, for him to to uh, sustain a really serious injury. Now, I I don't think they'll be able to. Uh, I think they'll attempt. To put him under pressure, I think they may put him try and put him under pressure in a slightly different way. I think if you see him going for the standing leg, I think uh, the referee is going to pull that up. That's going to be that would have been identified in the referee's meeting. I, I think the referee would have been aware of it even before that. Um, but there, ha- there has been that uh, article by Connor. There's been some messaging in the media about it. But you'd be sure that one of the main uh, topics of focus for the referees meeting with the coaches would have been uh, the, you know, a dangerous tackling or attempted tackle. Or, or can that backfire, Shane? Can that backfire slightly? Can the referees think, well, look, we know why they're saying this this publicly. We feel that the, can can referees potentially start thinking, look, I'm gonna, I, I'm not gonna overcompensate towards a particular player, towards protecting a particular player, just because he was given out in the media. Yeah, well, if they let that go, though, that's the real danger. If it's been highlighted, it's highlighted in the media, it's highlighted in the in the referees' briefing, and then an, an injury is sustained. It's slightly different when there's a danger of injury. You know, there's a you know necessarily if there's a tactic that's being highlighted, and you say, listen, there. You know, they're even they're running blocking lines, and then you know, I, I do agree with you, or they're they're they're. Um, mm they're too slow in the rook or they're, you know, they're, they're slowing up rook ball that can sometimes get on the, the bad side of a referee and they can say, well, listen, it's my interpretation. I won't be told what to do. But when it comes to a potential injury and, you know, taking away a, a kicker's standing leg when they're making a kick, you know, that can be a, a very, very serious implications um, injury wise. So when that is, the end product of not enforcing the law properly, I think they have to take notice and they have a duty to take notice. Shane, the obsession in the Scottish media this week, unsurprisingly, was uh, Sexton being out. Um, how much does that change Ireland's game plan from what you've seen in the past when Paddy Jackson comes in? Uh, are there specifics about Ireland that change fundamentally? Yeah, I think there are. I think um, Conor Murray does take more on his shoulders, uh, kicking-wise. I think our uh, Ireland's... Um, exit strategy from deep changes a little bit it becomes almost entirely based on the box kick if you look at uh, 
when Sexton's at 10, um, they actually move a lot of ball into the wide channel and uh, and look to kick um, up the open side wing or just kick off Sexton as well. So I don't think um, necessarily Jackson will be quite so confident deep in his own red zone. Um, he doesn't attack the line. He attacks the line pretty well when the when the uh, forwards when the there's forward momentum, and uh, hopefully, given the the way the pack has been playing for a while, that'll um, make uh, that will encourage him to do so. But he doesn't take the ball quite as flat as Sexton. He doesn't have quite the ability to the, to um, throw the the range of passes that Sexton does while he's still attacking the line. Um, but you have to be encouraged with the way he played in South Africa. I thought he was very confident. Um, he uh, bossed his forwards well. His variation in his overall game was good. Didn't get it done in, in terms of winning the series, but I think that was kind of a, a big movement forward uh, for him. Now, it hasn't really been reflected in his play for Ulster since he's come back, but uh, then there's been other underlying issues with Ulster as well. So, um, without a doubt, um, Ireland are weakened by the loss of, of Sexton. Um, and, uh, you know, that will, uh, conversely, that will, be, that will really buoy the Scottish team. Uh, it was very interesting to see Dan. The last time he played and cast, um, Sexton was you know, very dominant in the time that he was on the pitch. Castor looked as, as if they were out of that game. Um, but you could see the body language almost immediately change from the opposition when Sexton, Sexton went off. They felt they uh, now had the opportunity to win. And it will have buoyed the Scottish um, players, there's always that thing about you know we want to play against the best, but you know if you more <laughs> if you really if you really want to win a game, you don't want their best players playing. And uh, Sexton is one of Ireland's best. Yeah, I've never fully bought into that. I mean, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. No, sure, it's, no, a nice, nice it's, a, it's a nice soundbite. Uh, <laughs> nice soundbite, but it doesn't. You know, a grand slam is a grand slam, or a, a victory is a victory in, a, in an individual game. Sean, what kind of character is Paddy Jackson? He's a guy who's waited waited for his opportunity. He's got a few of them now because obviously Johnny's had some injury problems. Uh, what, what sort of a character does he have? Is he pretty confident when he's taking on these challenges? Yeah, he's a he's very calm and collected, uh, easygoing uh, type of guy, and I think that probably helps as well with the with the role he has to play. Um, and uh, he, like Shane was saying, he took his chance very well in South Africa. Uh, I was over there and I thought he played very well. He was one of the players of the series for me. And uh, boss the forwards well, Shane said. Is that the sense you got? Were you bossed around well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's very he's very confident. He he speaks well. He directs you well around the pitch. Um, obviously, look, Johnny's world class player, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he's going to be a big loss. But I think that you have seen that Johnny's come in and he's, or sorry, Paddy's Paddy, come yeah. in and, and got the job done um, in in recent tests. So. Uh, Johnny is a, mass, uh, a massive loss, but uh, I've you know huge amount of confidence in Paddy. Shane, the team, I suppose with injuries, the team more or less picked itself. Um, the back row may be one area Joe had some decisions to make. In terms of ball carrying, it's, it's one of the best we've ever had. Yeah, it looks extreme, extremely powerful. Um, you really would think that the the game plan at the moment is just give the ball to CJ Stander and let him get you over the game line because that's what he's doing better than anybody else in Europe, maybe in the world at the moment. Um, I've been really impressed by Jamie Heaslip this year. Actually, I think he's evolved his game, which is unusual for a player of his age. His footwork, if you notice, pre-contact has got much better. And he's got out of the habit that used to drive me insane of standing a really flat to the rock, standing about five metres from it, and then having that short pass um, thrown to him and not really doing anything with it, almost going straight to ground in, in an attempt to recycle quickly. And I hated it because I didn't think it ever drew anyone in. But I, I noticed um, this year he's been taking the ball with a little bit more depth, putting 
a real distinctive footwork on it. And then he was getting he was getting more soft, soft shoulders than I've seen in a long time. And I was, as a result, getting a few offloads as well. So, you know, the offloading game that, that he's bringing, the offloading game and the power game that CJ Stander has, and then you throw into the mix probably the most dynamic ball carrier that of our, Ireland have had in the last um, five years in Sean O'Brien playing at seven. It's... It means there's a lot of threats uh, for for the for um, the Scottish um, defence to deal with, and that's really important because when you're limited, and Ireland have been in the past or on occasion, they've been limited to one really significant ball carrier, and say that's Sean O'Brien. Like Sean's a hard man to stop no matter what, um, but if uh, if he hasn't had the option to pass the ball, and you have to maybe you can't close down your defence as much, can't all collapse down on him. Um, then it makes it even more difficult to, to tackle him. Or there's other options. Um, that means your defence is spread a little bit lighter. And I think, you know, you've got Sean in the studio there. A perfect example of that is, an, and I think Ireland are going to miss that uh, this uh, weekend and through the Six Nations, that, you know, when Sean comes on uh, a little bit later in the game um, recently, he'd come on and... Uh, because of his threat as a ball carrier, especially against tiring uh, legs, another threat means that there's greater spaces, you know, for him, but also for the other ball carriers. And uh, I think we, Ireland will miss that in the last 15 uh, come uh, um, come this Saturday because having that different, um, you know, uh, having the capacity to mix up your game and really make a significant change with 10, 15, 20 minutes to go, um, that was something very positive Ireland have, had in the locker and. And they don't. They won't have it quite as uh, as um, as good as they have when with uh, Sean not playing. Must be fun, Sean, when you come on late in the game. Well, obviously you won't be starting the game, but you co- you come on with twenty minutes ago and you see a few tired bodies around the place, and you know how to pick a line and carry a ball. And you're faster than everybody. <laughs> your, your eyes must just light up sometimes. Thinking, uh, do, uh, do, do you know when you come up to how closely do you study what is going on on the pitch? Do you know where the areas are that you can get on ball and do a bit of damage? I suppose when the best area to kind of get a look at that is when you're doing the warm up in behind the post mm. and uh, you're seeing the game open up and uh, you're kind of licking your lips then and you're talking to another few. Lads going look those kind of lines there or you're running off 10 or off 9 or, or a tip on like Shane was saying like Jamie great great feet pre-contact also great at giving little tip ons or inside passes um, Sean O'Brien can do CJ like mm-hmm. you said is inclined to more to go through people um, <laughs> I, I just think we're so so spoiled for choice at the moment and then you got Josh uh, is on the bench potentially and the impact that he provides so um, you know I think there's such an array of, of skills across that area of, of the park that we have that uh, you know like I said we're, we're, we're blessed with the options We've become quite an exciting team to watch again I don't know if that's always been the case and there's been mild criticisms maybe at, at times which which uh, you know can, can be over the top or whatever but the way the team played in South Africa last year that you were there for played against New Zealand Australia and that in the November Nationals do you expect to see something similar in this Six Nations campaign starting with Scotland uh, a, a, you know, quite a, quite an exciting brand of rugby. Um, I do. I expect to see, or kind of depend on the game. You know, is is there necessarily a different game plan per per game? Um, I suppose there there'll be different uh, set moves and, and stuff like mm. that. But the way we want to play will be the general way that they look to go about attacking the Six Nations. And I think that, um, yeah, we I think we have the players there to mix it up with with whatever style uh, they want to do. And um, 
uh, it'll be interesting to see I know it's the first game out you see the first game out it's always the, the, the Tetchy affair and uh, like Shane was saying earlier on it's, it is about momentum in this competition it's so big that trying to go over there and get the win it, it is vitally important and uh, yeah I, I can imagine it's probably keeping things tied for, for, for the opening exchanges growing our way into the game we've such a strong pack uh, the back line is, is very exciting so um, it's just about setting down the early mm. marker and getting into the game and then seeing what happens after that I didn't mention defence there Joe Schmidt has talked about uh, Andy Farrell's influence on the defence and how that's only going to grow it's only really begun and he's, he's going to make his mark now what's the sense you get of what Farrell's brought to the table here for Ireland? It's just I suppose one word would be excitement really? uh, Yeah, he, you can see he's excited about the defence and it's about turning defence into attack and and turning over the ball by by bringing line speed and getting off the line, and it's about control control line speed, knowing where you are in the pitch, knowing your inside outside man, and um, he's brought. You can see the kind of work that he's brought and the impact that it's had, and uh, it's real pleasing to see. And like a lot of lads, really enjoy it. The kind of systems he's brought in, so it's been uh, it's been a huge attribute to the team. With such a technical coaching position, does personality matter? He's, he's, you know, in his time with England, he was seen as this big personality who influenced the overall atmosphere of things. Does that matter with that sort of technical position that he has? Um, Are you just absorbing the information? Um, I suppose it's the yeah. I, I, it's it was when he brought in the the kind of new systems he wanted to implement. It was it's tough to get your head around at the start and uh, make sure that you're 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 trying to keep him happy with what he was looking for. Um, you know he knows what he wants, and uh, if the lads don't 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 back it up on the pitch, you'll you'll get it in the video session on Monday morning. And I think that's another aspect that, along with Joe going through the detail of the game, you got Andy there yeah. in the background looking at the the D so uh, meticulously as well. Encouraging what you hear there about Andy. Uh, about Andy Farrell, Shane? Yeah, um, not, uh, um, it's not the first time I've heard it. And I think if you speak to any of the, the squad, um, they're pretty um, effusive in their, in their support of uh, you know, what he brings and, and how important he is. I suppose the only um, issue that we had maybe when he was going to be, when he was selected first was how he would adapt to um, you know, sort of controlling that sort of massive personality he is, and not not become dominant. And I think it was uh, it was probably you know in retrospect a little bit foolhardy of of, of me in particular to think that uh, you know Joe d- d- wouldn't remain top dog, and it was his culture that um, permeates through the squad. But I think what we are seeing is another outlet for that personality and the excitement that we've just heard uh, Sean speak about there, and the desire for. Um, players to contribute to the defensive system and I think Ireland will need it against this Scottish team they have players with um, decent footwork and they have a much better attacking threat in the back line it's probably the best Scottish team in the last 25 years coached by the best best Scottish uh, coach uh, in at least the last 25 years and I think um, they pose a challenge a couple of concerns for for Ireland um, I think uh, you know the Munster defensive system has been, you know, really top draw. You know that will supplement what Andy uh, Farrell is doing. But uh, I think you know the last time out uh, against Castro, there was a couple of worrying things for uh, Leinster players. They, you know, the integrity of the line wasn't brilliant, and they were, you know, some of the players were struggling with with their one-on-one missed tackles and. No matter how good your defensive system is, uh, it can be exploited by one-on-one tackles. And I think, you know, Devon Toner has probably been Ireland's most improved player over the last couple of years, and has been getting you know great plaudits for that, and rightly so. And is it now an integral 
uh, part of uh, of the Irish team. You know, he can sometimes be exposed by footwork if he's uncomfortable in in, uh, in the alignment of the, of the defensive wall. And uh, I think not just him, but the players around him have to really identify that that can be a potential weakness in him, and they have to uh, make sure he feels as uncomfortable as comfortable as he can in that defensive line. We're going to be talking to Scott Hastings about the specifics of the Scottish Challenge in a couple of minutes, but Jim Telfer <laughs> was not shy in talking about some of the challenges that they're going to face through the competition, particularly with regards to England. Eddie Jones doesn't want to beat teams. He wants to demolish them, which I find a bit disappointing. To me, he's building his whole team on set piece and the building of the attack comes secondary. Having coached Australia and Japan, you would have thought the opposite would be the case. The way he speaks, it's a bit like Donald Trump. He wants to be the big man, you know? Do you know, Shane? <laughs> Listen, he's uh, he's very entertaining, but he's wildly inaccurate as well. I just I think he's well off the mark. Um, building your you know to say that uh, to, to say that you're building your um, your play on a set piece and say that's a sort of negative thing is so ridiculous. If you don't get your set piece right, you can forget about it. They have got their set piece right, but that certainly hasn't been the only thing that he has changed. If you think of the way he's in, um, invigorated uh, Billy Van Apolo, the way uh, he gets his power game and offloading game going, although he won't have him the Six Nations. The amount of offloads that uh, um, England have had in the last uh, year. But the more importantly, if you look at the 10-12 you know, access that he's, he's brought in, he's brought in you know, two first receivers with the Ford and Farrell, the way they play a second-wave defence. Um, the sort of motivation that levels that he's brought to the English players and uh, the confidence that he's brought with them and actually the delight that you can see that they're playing with. I think it's all been significant. Listen, it's going to be, I think, more difficult this Six Nations because um, that that um, double first receiver was something that had on second wave attack wasn't something that uh, you know the Six Nations teams had seen before. But um, like it was innovative, and if nothing else, Eddie uh, is an innovative coach. Uh, listen, I think I don't always agree with um, you know the way his bombast in the media, but uh, there's no doubting his uh, technical nice. If you were walking out of here, Sean, to play a match, and it was against one of the Six Nations, one of the other co- countries from the Six Nations, would England be the team you'd be most worried about facing? Um, this match starts in five minutes. Don't have any any more prep time. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you got to be re- realistic and say I know that they've 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 had a few injuries, um, but they've put together a pretty pretty awesome squad. Um, I think Billy Vonapol and Mako are huge losses to them. It's like Shane was saying there, the game that they got going around the park, uh, bringing other players into the game, offloading um, has been pretty scarily impressive. Uh, so they'll be big losses. It'll, I suppose depend on how they can adapt their game dealing without them um, but yeah they're, they're, they have built an awesome squad they're huge confidence from the um, the three test victory over Australia great November series so I presume they're they're, they're bursting with confidence so they're probably the form you know they are the form team We always ask our uh, guests for Six Nations predictions at this time of year who they think the champions will be. A little awkward for you because you're either going to talk your team up or or be talking them down unnecessarily. So I'll I'll ask Shane for his prediction while you think about a diplomatic answer. Shane? Yeah, Yeah, I I think uh, England um, to win, I think it'll be close. Uh, I'm just kind of nervous about uh, this weekend for Ireland. But if they get over that, they're in... uh, in a pretty good shape. Um, I don't. I have a feeling that last weekend isn't going to come down to a Grand Slam decider, um, and I think maybe that weekend uh, Ireland will win. But I've just got a feeling maybe on points um, England will just take it. Okay. Now, Sean, you've had time. 
I'm going to be controversial here and go against Shane <laughs> and say that um, I think we'll win this weekend. I think it'll create good momentum and go down to the last day and Ireland to win the championship on points difference. Points difference on the last so day. So bo- you're saying bonus points are going to be crucial? Oh yeah, I forgot about the bonus oh, points. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, on points difference, okay. we'll say. Yeah, right, points okay. against conceded. Wow. Yeah, okay. nail biter. Can't get more stuff. Willard Viva. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, lads. It's been great to talk to the two of you, Shane. Just before we let you go, I do want to ask you about the news that uh, Professor Arthur Tanner, I know he's a Lancer doctor for a lot of your your years there in particular, has uh, unfortunately passed away. You, you were you were quite close with him. Yeah, it was incredibly sad news. Uh, although Arthur has been um, sick for a while, it still comes as a massive shock. He's uh, um, the doctor for for Leinster and and Ireland for mm. my entire career, and he became a really really good friend of mine. He actually was. Uh, my first doctor when I ever played um, representative for Ireland, the Irish youths, many, many years ago. And uh, we developed a very strong friendship that uh, a, a number of us did with Arthur. He was, uh, he helped us all out, just not with our own injuries, but, you know, was always there for our families and, and uh, providing advice and, and help. Um, and he had, he was an incredible individual with, um, you know, the brilliance of a surgeon, but also this incredible um, compassion and uh, and he combined that with like you know fun, a really fun man of friendship. And it was only uh, a couple of weeks ago um, we were out with himself and his uh, his wife Anne, and uh, we're all thinking about her. And I, like the rest of the rugby family, will will miss my friend really dearly. Okay, we're all very sorry to hear hear that news today. Shane, listen, thanks so much, and Sean, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks, guys. New Zealand to Ryan Cotty getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Curry scores! Oh my goodness! They've managed it. It's 22 each. Have you got a chance? Uh, no. no. Uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20-point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Now Mario out of Carberry, still running with the ball, Zebo in a bit of space, and there's plenty of room too, All Blacks flying back in defence, off it goes to Julian Sarvier, he can't go anywhere, five metres from. Oh, what a play from Ireland, this is it really, this is it for Ireland, they can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them, unless they are demanded to by the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the Henshaw! Robbie Henshaw scores it! They did it! He bangs it down and oh my goodness, I think T.R.I. Sullivan, this could be it for Ireland. Handy conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags! in the making and they are really good for an island they deserve this and what a night it's going to be what a triumph it is for joe smith kiwi boy who's engineered the real history into the grandstand it goes Ireland beat the all blacks for the first time
Jim Telfer actually said a good bit more than that. I think it's worth reflecting a little further on Jim Telfer's interview with Tom English this week. Twickenham, I find intimidating. The whole atmosphere is intimidating. There's so many of them. Three tiers of them. Of them. If you ever think about, <laughs> if you ever think about wanting separation from England, just sit 10 minutes in Twickenham and listen to them. I think he was getting political there with the separation mm. from England. They think they're superior, and a lot of them will come from the southeast, Ken, the southeast. Bags of money and bags of this and bags of that. I don't really there. They don't really appreciate the other team. In France, they just boo the other team. In Argentina, <laughs> this is a good quote. In Argentina, they boo the other team. In England, it's just disdain. Why are we playing with these plebs? <laughs> I don't like Twickenham, a concrete jungle. Nothing attractive about it at all. Jim Telfer's eloquent. You know, as, as seen in the Lions speech twenty years ago. Why are we playing these plebs? <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty uh, accurate uh, uh, reflection as well. Yeah. No, have, you, have you been to Twickenham? Yeah, it's the least intimidating atmosphere of all the Six Nations grounds. Yeah, but the way he, I think he has a different is attaching a different meaning to the word intimidating. Like Jim Telfer isn't a man who would be intimidated by much, mm. certainly in the rugby world. I would have thought. I think by intimidating he means well. I think he goes on to explain what he means. <laughs> it's it's less intimidating, more disdainful. Mm. He, he feels like they're patronizing the great Jim Telfer, by ever having him in their wonderful stadium. You know, I haven't been there for, I haven't seen amazing atmospheres there, to, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I suppose it, it depends what match you're there for. The uh, Scott Hastings is ready to go. So let's talk a little bit more about Scotland. Scott, yeah, Grand Slam winner, of course, back in 1990. You're keeping well, excited about the weekend and the tournaments? Yeah, it's um, it's going back a few years, 1990, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's been a long time for uh, since Scotland won a championship, the last one being 1999. But, it's great, isn't it? Every year the Six Nations comes around and the anticipation just grows year on year. And uh, this is like no other because I really feel that this year is going to be such an exciting championship. What about for Scotland? The Most of the pre- previews I've been reading uh, from your neck of the woods seem to, there's quite a lot of optimism. Some of it a little bit cautious, but quite a lot of optimism there. Is that how you're feeling? Yes, I think we've had so many false dawns in recent years where on the back of a a strong uh, autumn series Scotland haven't delivered during the Six Nations. And I think amongst all that kind of that, that, that hurt, the, the, the narrow losses um, that this team have now come to experience not only winning Six Nations games, but also winning important and tight games. And if you look at Glasgow's form in Europe and in the Pro 12 and also Edinburgh's performance in Europe as well, I think a lot of the players can derive a lot of confidence going into the Six Nations and I think everybody knows that under Vern Cotter, there has been a steady improvement in Scotland's you know, ambition within the way they play the game. And undoubtedly, I think that, that leads to that optimism. And hopefully this time round that Scotland can get off their championship to a good start. How important do you think that club success is? Because I'm sure the likes of Stuart Hogg, Laidlaw, Finn Russell, the, the Grey brothers, these kind of players, I, w- I would assume, think that they're every every inch the match of the Irish players on the other side, but they don't have the trophies to back that up. It, you mentioned belief and confidence there. Do you think that this that, that it is actually quite key that they've started competing properly again in Europe? Absolutely. And there's one word, win. The fact that a win can give you so much confidence. And I think if you look back at you know, the last like, 10 years of Irish rugby, it's no coincidence that when the likes of Munster and, and Leinster have sort of you know, flown the flag, and then, so that delivers not only ambition for the players who then pull on the international jersey, but it, that, that winning feeling drives you further on. And we've seen that within Ireland's performances last summer 
against South Africa, then against the All Blacks, you know, when they took that famous scalp in Chicago. And undoubtedly, that, uh, that that running through the veins of the Irish players can spur them on. And, you know, you know, in parallel to that is the coaching excellence of Joe Smith, who's installed a sort of steely belief within this particular team. And I, I think if you look at the, the sort of upward curve of Irish rugby, it's actually been matched with the upward curve of Scottish rugby. And you're right that the winning of, of Glasgow and the players that you, know, that you mentioned there, Stuart Hogg, Johnny Gray, it undoubtedly embeds confidence. And you know that upward curve is now tangible because it now has to include silverware and and you know Glasgow won the Pro 12 a couple of years ago and the players are ambitious enough because they want more. You mentioned Joe Schmidt what about uh, Vern Cotter and his situation with the team now it's a funny one in, in some sports he'd be a bit of a dead man walking because the the situation for those who don't know it is that Gregor Townsend is already the appointed man coach for next year and Vern Cotter was very magnanimous in accepting that decision but it did seem clear that he would have liked to have stayed on a little bit longer as as i mentioned certainly in football there tends to be a scenario sometimes if a, if the players know a manager's out the door they find it hard to really play for him to to the maximum of their abilities is there any fear of this becoming any sort of an issue during the season no, I don't think so. Rugby has different values to you know the, the round ball game, and, and for me, that's what makes it one of the best team games around. There is still a huge amount of respect there, not only for your opposition, but for your coaches, your leaders, for your referees and your officials. So for me, you know those values of the game will, will drive the players through. They know they've seen a change. They've been given not so much carte blanche, but they've been given confidence from a great coach to go out there and excel, you know, in the jersey for Scotland. And and for me, Cotter's been a fantastic asset. And I'm disappointed to see him go, quite frankly. I thought he was doing a great job. Um, I think it's unfinished business for Cotter. And undoubtedly, I think he wants to finish this Six Nations on, a, on an absolute high. And, um, and whilst Gregor Townsend undoubtedly has shown his prowess as, as Glasgow's coach, life will move on. And, you know, for the players, it's all about improving upon the autumn seas. It's about improving upon their last Six Nations experience. So for me, that, that won't cloud the issue at all. Cotter brings a steely reserve to this team. And Scotland have home advantage mm. on Saturday, and they must make that count. Um, they must put pressure on this Irish team, but they also must be calm in their own heads and, and be confident within their game plan. We've been talking, Scott, about Conor Murray and how unhappy he was, backed up by Joe Schmidt, in fact, subsequently with uh, some of the targeting that he was on the end of, he felt against Glasgow. Greg Laidlaw has spoken about it this week and essentially said, this, that goes with the territory, buddy. And he said he's not going to come to Murrayfield and get an armchair ride. Is there a feeling in Scotland that Murray's been doing a bit too much whinging about this? I, I don't believe so. You do your talking on the pitch, don't you? I, I, you know, whilst you know, everything that's said within the, the person and social media um, can, can be heightened, um, ultimately, as a player, you get on the pitch and, and you tackle and you take on what's in front of you. It's as simple as that. I am a bit sort of perplexed at this sort of um, feeling that he has been targeted in the manner of the, the tackler, the tackler being uh, putting pressure under Murray. Yeah, go, yeah, but the tar- what- targeting his standing leg—that seems to be have been the specific issue. Yeah. As, as he's as he's box kicking or whatever, there's players coming and trying to trying to target uh, his, his his standing leg, which can be dangerous. Uh, uh, absolutely, um, but at the same the same token, you're always going to get the late follow through. It's part and parcel of the game. The, the officials are there to rule on that particular uh, situation, and, and undoubtedly, 
you know, the move by World Rugby to try and eliminate dangerous tackles from the game will be severely punished in the short window, which is our Six Nations. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to dismiss what um, Conor Murray has, has, has been saying, but what I'd like to sort of emphasise is it's a hugely physical game. It's a hugely emotional game. And as, as long as the players realise their responsibilities, the officials will deal with it and deal with it harshly. But ultimately, the pressure point of international rugby, it heightens, um, you know, senses, it heightens, um, you know, the, the strenuous efforts of the players. And, and the players have got to realise they've got to stick within the laws. Because nowadays, and we've seen it, that the minute a yellow card or a, a red card is brandished, that can completely change a game. So Scotland, um, in previous championships, have seen that a yellow card has been detrimental to their cause. And ultimately, that might have a bearing on, on the championship. Laylo is also interesting talking about Johnny Sexton and about how he didn't brush over the fact that Ireland are weaker without him or that he's their, their talisman as an out half, um, which is has been fair enough over the last few years. Do you think that without Sexton... A win for Scotland in this game at home, as you say, a quite a confident Scotland team would actually not be that much of an upset. I mean, over here, we've probably gotten a bit blasé about it, Scott, to be honest, that we should usually beat Scotland over the last number of years. But would you even consider it an upset? No, no I wouldn't. Not, not on this occasion. How, however, I think if you go into the game and look at the current form, Ireland are favourites. But if Scotland can play their own game and dominate in phases of their, their own play, then, then it is possible. Now, if you look back to last year's game um, at uh, the Viva Stadium in Dublin, Scotland at times got bullied off the pitch a little bit uh, with Ireland. Ireland took control of the game. Scotland responded really well within that game and actually made it quite competitive. But Ireland dominated in many facets. Now, if Scotland can seek parity within the scrum and the forward exchanges, then I believe they, they have an exciting back division to exploit. Um, one word on Sexton, however, is mm. that I do believe that Paddy Jackson is in the form of his life. He has brought a real confidence to his own play. And when you consider what he, is, um, what he brings to the party, I, I don't think the fact that you've got Sexton out of your team I think Jackson slotting in Keatley on the on the wings as well. I think there's there's plenty of options there for Ireland. There's plenty of other good players, and at the end of the day, it's not it's about no one individual. It's how the team play and perform. And Ireland undoubtedly have got an excellence within their squad. A lot of leaders and experience within that squad. But Scotland have got to realise that they've got the home advantage, and they must make that tell. But as we know, um, you know rugby at the upper echelons is is all about how you deal with pressure. And Scotland haven't dealt with pressure as well over the last few years as Ireland have. So it's going to be fascinating when it boils down to that last 20 minutes and the game is, is, is as tight as a drum. It's who can deal with that pressure. Mm. Should be fun. We're looking forward to it, Scott. Enjoy the game. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much. Simon, you get the last word on the Conor Murray story, which has permeated a couple of these conversations we've had so far today. Well, he was actually targeted a little bit in last year's Six Nations, but if you think about it, scrum half is probably the most difficult position to physically target because they're behind a ruck or a scrum or a line at the whole time. And it takes incredible timing and accuracy and you're trying to predict what will happen in the next play. If you're the opposition back row, trying to predict what Conor Murray will do. So there's a skill. If you do sort of manage that millisecond tackle just as he's kicking the ball away, 
you're probably a pretty good player. So I don't think it's as easy as targeting, say, Johnny Sexton, actually, because you can run straight at mm-hmm. him or you can you can do whatever. He's involved in a lot of rooks, whereas Conor Murray stays out of everything. He's kind of in his little palace there just behind the Fords. And, uh, you know, if Scotland can do that and not irk the referee, I'd be a little bit surprised. Who's going to win the Six Nations? England. <sighs> I think England, yeah. Where are Ireland going to uh, lose the game that allows them to... Wales away. Ireland are going to lose to Wales away. And then beat Fr- England. Friday night game. Yeah, beat England. Oh, and then lose on points difference or bonus points. Well, you see, Italy are kind of going to be the defining uh, match, I think, for the top two or three teams, that being Ireland, England and Wales. Well, I think you have to if get your you bonus get, point. And if you, you get, get good weather or a couple of injuries to the Italian team, then it's almost guaranteed five points. Mm. Um, and that's what makes the bonus point thing a little bit unfair is the Italy factor that... Where you play them, the weather you play them will dictate whether you can get the bonus point. The Irish Times Second Football Podcast is out there and ready for you to listen to it. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you I'd like to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to you, Pax. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? It's a very busy midweek in terms of football, a top class action, which we discussed with John Byrne and Miguel Delaney. Is David Luiz the best player ever to play in English football? He's got to be up there. Why limit the English football game? Uh, I wouldn't say he was the best player ever but he may be the best ever to play in England um, so, so that was up for discussion don't worry that theory wasn't posited during the podcast that particular theory David Luiz was I think the theory popular. is always there I think it's posited in, in every football show if you know where to look for it mm, yeah. you know I mean I think maybe you haven't been reading between the lines in recent months but I think that that kind of made his feelings on this issue crystal clear I'm sure it will be boring for the listeners <laughs> sure they love hearing about it every week U.S. Murph Yes we have to say it Remember this is just a football game No matter who wins or loses I am deeply sorry For my irresponsible and selfish behaviour We're being extremely truculent Whatever truculent means If that's good I'm there Strike three called And the Giants have won the World Series In Detroit Sunday night, very late hour time in Houston, Texas, Super Bowl 51 pitches the much maligned New England Patriots against the much ignored Atlanta Falcons. Brian, are you rooting for the team that everyone hates or the team that nobody cares about? Ah, well, first of all, Owen, great to hear you back, buddy. Welcome back. Oh, New thank 20- you. Voice, I know tanned, rested, and ready. Owen is uh, is is a great Owen to have. So mm. uh, good to have you. And yeah, Super Bowl. Well, first and foremost, guys, are you uh, are you going to be at Doug and Lisa's house? Is all I want to know. <laughs> this is that? exactly what I was going to start with. I was going to ask you what because Lisa's a big <laughs> Patriots fan, if I remember from your Super Bowl party. Oh my years god, ago. that's incredible recall that you yeah. pulled. That you are correct. She is a massive Patriots fan, and with their ongoing success translating into 2017 Super Bowl 51, she's walking taller than ever. So the chili is going to be extra spicy. She's already bragging about the crock pot. She's got it on the stove. 
So, yes, Doug and Lisa are continuing to throw the rager of ragers in suburban San Francisco. <laughs> but, and, and, and don't forget, you boys are always invited. You're always invited. Oh, great. Tell them we but, said that. It was, tell them it doesn't really suit us this time, but maybe maybe some other time. Maybe we could Skype it up. We yeah. could Skype Lisa and the Chili and you guys and uh, just get a little something going here, you know? Yeah, the um, so uh, I seem to recall you having to leave early last time. I mean, I, I hope that you can last that the full. Correct, and 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 I can, I have to say I can't commit right now. Actually, I feel bad because oh, you're one of those guys. Great. To, well, I am. I am, and and then you get into the whole etiquette of, you know, the person is your friend. They've invited you to a Super Bowl party, but you have sort of like this deal where you were planning on watching the Super Bowl on your own huge screen TV. Guys, you know me. I got a tweet. I got a tweet during the game. How rude would it be if I showed up at Doug and Lisa's, asked for their Wi-Fi password, and sat on the couch <laughs> with my uh, laptop and just was firing off tweets and ignoring the crowd, you know? So <laughs> well, I Ken, have uh, Ken, ethical dilemmas at, at hand here. Yeah, well, Ken does that for pretty much every time he's ever come to my house for the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I wouldn't be too <laughs> upset about it. Brian, let's start with the Falcons, right? Because we, we, we'll talk Patriots, but they have got enough airtime over the years. It's probably fair to say the last time the Falcons were in at 1999, which is an awful long time ago. It was so long ago that they it was their only appearance ever. Now, Atlanta Falcons, guys, 32 NFL teams, you would have to rank the Atlanta Falcons somewhere in the bottom third in terms of X-factor, buzz, history, tradition, all that stuff. They were an expansion team in the late 60s, so they've been around for a while. I mean, it's not like the Jacksonville Jaguars or one of these teams that was just born a second ago. But they mostly have had an undistinguished history. We've talked over the years about various uh, – uh, rankings of American sports towns. Atlanta is never in the top. I mean, Atlanta is not a great sports town. It's a college football area. So the Falcons are coming with a little bit of a, shall we say, a dull shine to them because they're they're not the New England Patriots. They're not Tom Brady. They're not Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick. They're not going after all these records that Belichick and Brady are, which we can get into later if you want. What they are coming with is one of the great offenses in the last few years in the NFL, and this is what people are excited about, is that this quarterback named Matt Ryan out of Boston College, now he's already 31 years old, he's been in the league for nine years, which is kind of crazy, because I still think of him as kind of a young guy. He, In his rookie year, he was so good and so immune to pressure, he earned the nickname Matty Ice. Matty Ice, because he was cool under pressure. Uh, and unfortunately, Matty Ice never made it to the Super Bowl. Now... Local ties here. Four years ago, they had a really good team and appeared to be on their way to the Super Bowl, hosting the NFC Championship and beating Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick's 49ers 17 to nothing at halftime. And they blew the game. Kaepernick and Frank Gore and Harbaugh let a comeback. And the Niners pulled off a stunner and beat the Falcons, adding to the kind of Falcons legacy of woe, so to speak. But now they have Matty Ryan clicking on all cylinders. They have a spectacular wide receiver named Julio Jones, who everybody knew was going to be great when he came out of Alabama, and he's flourishing right now. Wonderful player to watch. And as far as another local tie, their offensive coordinator is a young guy named Kyle Shanahan, who seems to dial up play after play after play, where their running backs get open. Matt Ryan has plenty of open guys to throw to. He seems to dial up the right play every time, whether it's a zone running off, uh, 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 playing off their zone run offense, or whether it's it's uh, Ryan and Julio Jones hooking up. And they have scored a massive amount of points, most points of any team in the NFL this year, one of the highest scoring teams in NFL history. And Kyle Shanahan is set to become the new head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. So those of us out here on the West Coast are very keenly interested to 
watch this guy finish off his run as offensive coordinator of the Falcons to see if Matt Ryan and Julio Jones can bring a shred of dignity to the Falcons franchise, which has never been a Super Bowl champ. And on top of everything, guys, to wrap it up, the last time they went, 20, 20 years ago, that 1998 Super Bowl, 99, it was so shameful because one of their top players the night before the Super Bowl was arrested for soliciting a prostitute. The story broke at midnight the night before the Super Bowl, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and it was a sort of a laughingstock, shameful incident. The Falcons kind of slunk into the stadium under the shame of Eugene Robinson, who earlier that day had been honored as the NFL's Man of the Year for his civic and community <laughs> achievements. He had been caught soliciting a prostitute that night at midnight. They wound up getting blown out by John Elway and the Denver Broncos. So Falcons bringing their story to Super Bowl 51, boys. Yeah, a bit of a mixed bag of a weekend, you could say, there for uh, for Eugene. Open down, Murph. Open yeah. down weekend for Eugene Robinson there. Some, some highs some highs, and some lows, guys. Life giveth, life taketh away. <laughs> but okay. I, I, I can't leave your last, uh, your last um, contribution there without bringing you back to that nickname that Matt Ryan has because uh, I would just imagine anyone who's ever been to the Bay Area or America on a J1 will not forgive me if I don't ask you is the Matty Ice nickname a pun on Natty Ice the cheap and not very cheerful beer that most people who've been I don't know if it's just a West Coast beer but certainly a lot of J1ers will know the beer I'm talking about not great <laughs> you know what I, I always know that American beer gets such a bad rap before we get into the, the craft beer revolution <laughs> which I feel so bad about because remember we made a, I made a remark about craft beer at the live show and and one of our one of our one of our listeners, she's a craft beer maker in Dublin. She was so hurt. Oh no! So I want to make sure. We, I know, I know. We can't be all things to all people, guys. Mm. But I do want to. I do want to shout out that American craft beer, like Ireland's, is better than ever now. But Natty Ice is not in that conversation. You know, it's funny you say that. I am going to be totally honest with you and say that until you just said that. I had never made that connection, but of course it's a play on that. But I'm not kidding you because, you know me, I'm an aristocrat. I only drink yeah. the finest. Give me my Anchor Steam or my Guinness or whatever, you know, but I don't drink Natty Ice, but it's cheap. It's plentiful. And if you're on a J1 and you need to buy a 12-pack for like five bucks, yeah. you could do that Natty Some Ice. So serious coastal elite go stuff going on here. I'm going to take my hat off to you and, and admit – that I hadn't made that connection until right now like a dummy. I just thought it was one of those things, Matty Ice, you know. But yes, of course, it's a Natty Ice play. So <laughs> nice, nice job. Thank you, Brian. We kind of just scooted through the history, the not very illustrious history of the Falcons there. We didn't mention the most famous player, certainly the player everybody over here will be most familiar with, Michael Vick, who was such a great quarterback for them, great running quarterback especially. Ends up going to jail for being part of, well, for running a dogfighting ring. This horrific kind of stuff. So he, he serves his time in jail, comes back and continues to play, albeit not for the Falcons. I don't know if you saw this letter he wrote in the Players' Tribune this week. He says, uh, he describes his story. It's, it's kind of like an open letter to the people of Atlanta telling them how much he cares about the club and how amazing it was to be back there a few weeks ago as a, a sort of goodbye to the old stadium and all this kind of thing. He said when he was in jail, he was always dreaming of a comeback with the Falcons and he gets to draft day and goes off, takes a couple of phone, takes a phone call from his mum who tells him that his gran is dying, so that's the start of the day. On the way back to the TV room, he bumps into an inmate who tells him the Falcons have drafted Matt Ryan, the current quarterback. So he says, I know sometimes people will say it's like they've been punched in the stomach when something bad happens, but I'd never really understood the expression until that moment. Matt Ryan. I just kept repeating his name in my head again and again and again. Every time I thought about what it meant, it took the air right out of me, but I couldn't help it. Matt Ryan. 
as in the quarterback. And he goes on like this for quite a while. It's it's just quite an amazing juxtaposition of the guy who had been in that role and has, has a, I think he's has been restored somewhat in terms of his reputation. He served his time anyway for the for the crime. Is this the kind of thing that might galvanize the people of Atlanta or do they care what Michael Vick has to say? Well, it's a heck of a, I'm really glad you turned me on to that because I hadn't actually, in, in addition to not making the Matty Ice, Natty Ice connection, I had not read that Players' Tribune letter yet. Fire. I did see it on my Twitter feed where he said Matt, the day Matt Ryan was drafted was the worst day of my life. It was a, a hit rock bottom. Mm. It's really, I mean, Mike Vick continues to sort of lead this post-jail career where he's kind of doing everything right. He's being honest and he's being forthright and he's being available and all the things he's done with you know, animal rights and everything. He's not one of these guys who slipped back into his bad ways and he's not like down there running a secret dog ring again, as far as I know. It is funny that, um, it's funny that hasn't been a huge part of the story going into this, this week, but it is a legitimate talking point. It, it, he was a guy who was believed when he came into the league. I mean, we talked, we've been doing this show long enough that we talked about him when he was a star player. He led them to the NFC championship when he was just a young player. They had to play, um, they had played the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they beat him in the cold. And, and he's, he, he had a, there were such high hopes for him, but it never came to be. So, yeah, this is kind of interesting in that this is the Falcons' second trip ever to the Super Bowl. One was with a real journeyman quarterback named Chris Chandler. They had a great running back named Jamal Anderson, and that's how they got to the Super Bowl that year. But the other time now, it's with Matt Ryan, who serves as this sort of symbol of Mike Vick's imprisonment and depression. So I like it. This is why I like talking to you guys. You bring me you bring me new angles, and don't be surprised if these things are discussed on KMBR in the morning. No, you're welcome. This is a small fee uh, that can wing its way towards the second. <laughs> How come you guys are bringing me better American sports takes than I'm coming up with? That's my question. Yeah. Tom Brady I want to talk about, but not not the man we think of usually. I want to, I want to mention Tom Brady Sr., Brian, if that's okay with you, because he's our guy. lashed our guy. out. He was yeah. on our show last week. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, and he's been lashing out. I didn't realize he'd been on your show, so I apologize for playing a clip from a colleague <laughs> or another Bay no, Area. hated rival. Though, I think possibly hated rival. A little myth before you play this, I want to say that yeah. we had him on our show, right? And I think we warmed him up because we did the interview, and yeah. like a true Columbo, I waited till the end to ask the Roger Goodell question. In that, you're a father, your son has been humiliated by Roger Goodell, your son now has a chance to go Princess Bride Inigo Montoya on Roger Goodell and say, Prepare to die, Roger, and give me that <laughs> trophy. And we and, and we got him going, and and he said. Ultimately, that he made his case that Goodell's a liar and Goodell's uh, facts didn't hold up. And then ultimately I said, so are you saying you want to stick it to Roger Goodell on Sunday? And he said, yes, that's what I'm saying. And then we ended the interview. Then he turns around and I'm going to go ahead and say that our local uh, TV station here, KRON, that you're about to play. I'm going to say that they took our lead, boys. <laughs> and I think we greased Tom Brady Sr. up and then he went into the ring and, and I guess started throwing these verbal haymakers you're about to play here. Let's play him. I think any parent can understand that, that they'd rather take the slings and arrows in the heart than have their kids take it. And for 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 what the league did to him, uh, what Roger Goodell constantly lied about is, is, um, is beyond reprehensible as far as I'm concerned. He went on a witch hunt and got in way over his head and had to lie his way out numerous ways. And, and the, the reality is Tommy never got suspended for 
or deflating footballs. He got suspended because the court said that he could, Roger Goodell could do anything that he wanted to do to, for, to any player for any reason whatsoever. That's what happened. The NFL admitted they had no evidence on him. Okay, so that's uh, that's Roger Goodell there, the NFL commissioner, Brian, having been warmed up by you. It's, pre- it's pretty interesting that the father of the most famous player in the sport would take on the boss of the sport in such a public way, so close to the biggest game that the sport has every year. Oh, guys, it's ugly between Roger Goodell and the New England fan base. And, you know, one of the running stories of the of the playoffs throughout the month of January was that Goodell did not go to the Patriots playoff games. Now, you know, Roger Goodell is... You know, he's supposed to show his face, and the Patriots are the flagship franchise of the NFL, and Brady is doing things that no player has ever done in the history of the NFL. Guys, this is his seventh Super Bowl. Oh, my God. John Elway had the record with five. This is his seventh. I mean, these are the kind of records that will probably never get broken. Bill Belichick and he going to their seventh together again, another record. So these are stuff that you would think that the commissioner of the league would pay homage, but he would not. He has avoided New England ever since Deflategate. He is persona non to say he's persona non grata kind of makes persona non gratas uh, feel ashamed somewhere because he's persona non 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 grata grata grata. They do not and this is like the this is like the the dream scenario. I mean it really is, and that that he is going to have to hand the trophy to Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, and Tom Brady. This is the I mean, New England people are weeping with joy at this at this possible scenario which by the way is quite likely that new england is going to win the super bowl because of their experience because of tom brady because of atlanta's inexperience so tom brady senior is saying all the things that every new england fan wants to say of course tom jr knows that this isn't the best thing in the world to have a quote-unquote distraction during the week so he said when he arrived in houston texas that uh, he shut off his dad from the media of course, you know, KMBR Murphy Mac, we were smart enough to get him the week before. So we have him on record now. But uh, Tommy Sr. has been shut down. Now, guys, on a more serious note, uh, they did reveal that Tom's mother, Galen, and now this is local, right? The Brady's, they grew up right here. From where I'm sitting right now, as I talk to you, the Brady's grew up, I don't know, 20 minutes down the road here. I mean, he's a Bay Area kid. He's grew up a 49er fan. He's a, he's a Northern Californian, and the Brady's still live here, and they're still part of the community and everything. And everybody who kind of knows from their local neighborhoods that his mother's been battling health issues and she's been ill for a while. So it's been a trying year and like, you know, pretty serious stuff. So he didn't he didn't reveal to us the exact details, but she's alive, but she's fighting. And and so it's been a trying year for Tom Brady. And, and I think as a result, he's gotten emotional uh, this this the first two days of media days. He was asked about his family and he choked up both times. So we're seeing sort of a different side of Tom Brady kind of showing his uh, his personal side a little bit more, not just the robot. And we now know that his mother's been sick. We know that his father's comments on Goodell are coming from a real Papa Bear, kind of gri- a grizzly bear defending his cub on <laughs> Roger Goodell. And it's all set up for a pretty juicy handover. There is one sort of precedent in the history of the NFL, and that is in back in the early 80s, Al Davis, the Oakland Raiders owner, the maverick, unbelievable rebel owner who wore sweatsuits and gold chains, and, and talked about dominating people. You dominate people. He was an incredible icon. He used to take on Pete Rozelle, who was the commissioner of the NFL, all the time. He moved his team to L.A. in, in the face of the NFL's denying him, saying you can't do that. He moved the team to L.A. anyway. He sued the NFL over and over again. They hated each other, and then the Raiders won the Super Bowl, and Pete Rozelle had to hand the trophy to Al Davis. That's really, out of 51 Super Bowls, 
the only other one as juicy as the idea of Roger Goodell having to hand Tommy Brady, maligned Tommy Brady, unjustly punished Tommy Brady, the Vince Lombardi trophy guys on Sunday night. How can the Falcons stop that from happening, Brian? They're not short of, of tape of their opposition in big games. They have a, an idea what's coming at them, but how do they stop Tom Brady and his pals? <sighs> You know, it's interesting. We're doing all our radio row interviews with all the celebrities making their pitch products. You know, it's so funny. And and a lot of these guys are picking the Falcons. They think that that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu and Devontae Freeman and all and Kyle Shanahan's play calling is just too much. That they've just scored too many points and that New England won't be able to keep up. It, there is that theory out there. I just don't see it happening, guys. What I see happening is a very young Atlanta Falcons defense. They start three rookies in the secondary, okay? And sort of an unproven Falcons defense. They haven't played that well this year. They've gotten where they got on offense. And I've always found in the history of the Super Bowl and in sports in general, ultimately, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a flaw on defense, it will, de- it will deprive you of getting to the mountaintop. I have this, I have this vision and this scene of Tom Brady not getting pressured, because I don't think Atlanta has a great pass rush. When Tom Brady's not pressured, remember the only two times he lost Super Bowls when the New York Giants pass rushed him. They had great pass rushers, and they hit him. And Tom Brady can't move. Joe Montana could move. Tom Brady can't move. So when you can hit him, you can defeat him. But I think they're going to protect Brady, and he has these little receivers, Julian Edelman, and this new guy, Chris Hogan, who was a freaking lacrosse player in college at Penn State and has bounced around the fringes of the NFL and now is a full-blown star with Tom Brady. I just see him finding Hogan and Edelman over and over again, and I would see the Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia, their defensive coordinator, I see their defense – stopping Matt Ryan just enough with a pick here, a pick there, a turnover here, a turnover there, a pass rush, a blitz package that Ryan was not ready for. And I see Ryan inexperienced making a mistake or two that Tom Brady will not make. I just can't see the Falcons doing it, boys. I've seen this movie too many times, and I just see Tom Brady getting his fifth Super Bowl trophy, which will put him past Joe Montana and Terry Bradshaw as the only quarterback with five. Now, trivia question. Charles Haley has five Super Bowl rings, too, as a pass rusher. That's he, So he won't be the first player with five championships, but he'll be the first quarterback with five championships. So I just don't see Atlanta doing it, boys. Mm. So I've, I was having a conversation with my brother, who has uh, three young red-headed sons under the age of eight, uh, who has rather foolishly taken on an NFL obsession in the last uh, three or four months, right? And he wanted me to ask you a question. Uh Basically, I'm looking. He was looking at all of the major characters in this game. Uh, the two quarterbacks are Brady and Ryan. Chris Hogan is the star uh, wide receiver for the Patriots. Dan Quinn is the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> there are an yes. awful lot of Irish surnames involved in this in this game. I mean, would the thought have even crossed your mind if I hadn't just mentioned it to you? There is like is the idea of this being an Irish American kind of an event would that have even crossed your mind or are are any of these guys actually they're just like sixth or seventh generation of irish americans and as a result not really in touch with kind of their irish roots or would never make a big play about their irish roots 
Well, you're t- you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm I'm the guy who would hop on an Aer Lingus flight to go show up at the Liberty Hall Theater, uh, you know, and leave my family behind. So of course I noticed that. <laughs> I've been all over it. I've talked about it now. I would be in the distinct minority. I would say 98 percent of America would say what. Huh? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. But me, me, the lunatic who who follows these kind of things, absolutely. And, and I'm going to add a cherry on top. You forgot the offensive coordinator. I've talked about Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've got and and guys, and the big news in San Francisco is that we just made a very the Niners just made a huge surprise hire as a new GM. They hired former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and Denver Broncos star safety, who's likely going to go in the Hall of Fame this weekend, John Lynch. So we've joked about Lynch and Shanahan being the new 49er brain trust. And when they come on the air, they're talking to Murphy and McCaffrey on KMBR. So it's out of control, boys. It's total domination. And yes, I have noticed it. And I say we wave that flag and wave it high. All right? <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're in a happy situation of, not, of being unable to lose on Sunday between Brady and Ryan. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, Brady, Hogan, now... Note, Julian Edelman is Jewish, which is an incredible shock. You don't see many white Jewish wide receivers in the NFL. Bob Kraft, the owner of the uh, of the Patriots, I believe is a Jewish-American, and as is Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons. So we got a ways to go when it comes to, you know, uh, cracking the ownership ceiling, but we'll, we'll hang our hat on the Roonies until we uh, – and the Maras, I believe, right? I, I think the Maras go back to the old country too, the New York Giants owners. So – yeah, it's all over the place. It's crazy. But to answer your brother, is it John or your other brother? It's Paul. Paul. It's, it's I, Paul. I don't know where to this answer NFL your brother Paul's question, from. no, most anybody in America does not pay attention to that. But yes, I do. Brian, we suggest you head along to Doug and Lisa's party, accept the invitation, and report back next week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Boys, the chili's on the crock pot, and I'll be thinking of you. Have a good time, boys. Enjoy the game. Second captain. They're better at the internet than we are. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Second captain. Uh-huh. I thought that. Do you believe this? It's so unbelievable. Second captain. On the internet. I'm going to bomb the shit out of them. It's true. I don't care. I don't care. They've got to be stopped. Well, there you go. I think Brian has once again done the job of getting us riled up for Super Bowl Sunday. We still have no party venue of our own as of mm. yet. We've, I know. We've got some work to do in that regard. Well, we put our we put our trust in Ken, and Ken betrayed us. That's fine. We'll it just goes on a little bit too late. I'm sorry. Oh, right, okay. Too much noise. Not ev- not everybody is as excited in our lives is as excited about the idea of a Super Bowl party as we seem to be. <laughs> and, and now Owen urges you, the listener, to read between the lines of what he just said there. Murph, didn't get a chance to talk about a piece that I think you'd be quite interested about from American Sport this week. It was the only bit I noticed outside of the Super Bowl. Okay. I, the reason that you're excited is I'm going to ask you, what former NBA player turned pundit really grinds your gears? Oh, Charles Barkley? <laughs> Charles Barkley, indeed. Last week, Barkley used his role as a TV pundit to describe LeBron James as inappropriate whiny all of the above after the NBA champion complained about the lack of depth of the Cavaliers. Barkley has slagged him off in the past as well, mm-hmm. quite a lot. On Monday, ESPN asked James, LeBron James, about Barkley's latest comments, and the question lit a fuse, according to this article I'm reading. I'm not going to let him disrespect my legacy like that, James said. I'm not the one who threw somebody through a window. I never spit on a kid. I never had unpaid debt in Las Vegas. I, I never said, I'm not a role model. 
I never showed up to All Star Weekend on Sunday because I was in Vegas all weekend partying. <laughs> uh, sounds like he has quite a quite a bit of info on the career of yeah. Charles Barkley. Yeah, it's like he, he had a little dossier done up by his, his people. This is a bit Roy Keeney, isn't it? All I've done for my entire career is represent the NBA the right way. 14 years, never got in trouble, respected the game, print that. So I presume you'll doctor a cap to LeBron James. No, I, I, I actually saw that story and I laughed uh, uproariously <laughs> at it. Uh, it's uh, it's nice to bring a little bit of light into our lives. Yeah, sometimes it's on. nice to have a go back. Sometimes at the pundits. An email from James Sappen before we go. Subject: Tiger Woods busted flush? Question mark. Stood behind the tenth tee at Emirates Golf Club earlier this morning. Says James and watched oh. Tiger Woods. Yeah, this is in Dubai, right? And watched Tiger Woods hit his first shot of the day. Straight left, sixty yards offline. <laughs> I just felt tremendously sad. There are three par fives in the back nine, and Tiger was two over par for these three holes. The third hole is another par five, easily reachable in two. Tiger fails to make birdie. Regardless of how he finishes the round, it is clear to see that he no longer has command of his own game. I fear for his golfing future. <laughs> I just I like the utter hopelessness of the, the situation for I Tiger, as James alludes to. Tiger's going to be all right. You know, don't don't worry about Tiger. He's going to be fine. I mean, you know, there are there are worse things in life that could happen than hitting your drive 60 yards offline. Off I mean... There's probably a lot of room out there anyway. One last bit of information to give you before we go. This Sunday, the 5th of February, teams in the Chinese and Syrian communities in Ireland are going to come together to take part in an unprecedented soccer tournament in Dublin. It's being organised by the City of Sanctuary Dublin with support from Sport Against Racism Ireland. City of Sanctuary Group does great work to create a culture of safety and welcome for refugees and other migrants to the city. So if you have friends or colleagues from Syria, China, who live in Ireland, you can tell them to get down to this tournament on Sunday or if you want to go out and support it yourself, by all means do that. It's on in the indoor Astro Pitches, Unifive Airways Industrial Estate, Santry. That's in Dublin from 10am to 1pm. So if you're around that neck of the woods, uh, go for that. We'll also tweet the details a little bit later as well. That's it. Okay, enjoy the show. Uh, have a listen to the football podcast if you can. Lots of David Louise chat there. Thanks, Ken. And other things too, well. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> non David Louise related. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thanks oh, for listening. You're amazing. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> I still have no it's idea. Disar- how to it's react disarming, to that. isn't it? It is disarming. It's so disarming. Mm. Especially in person, even more so than on Twitter. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. It's even made me feel good. Yeah, it's really no problem. That's the second time it's gone off. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.